Hello again, welcome back to Bible Studies with Russ. This is Season 3, Study Number 3. We are picking up today in Revelation Chapter 1 and Verse 7, and we'll just see how far we get. If you remember last time, we concluded our introduction and looked at Revelation Chapter 1, Verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to read uh, Verses 1 through 6 here real quick, and then we'll pick up here in Verse 7 of Revelation Chapter 1, reading from the New King James. Revelation 1, beginning in Verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must, must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Uh, I mentioned last time how the who is, who was, and who is to come is a reference to Christ. There are some who apply this to God because they want to put this as being the Trinity. Uh, I'm going to argue that point if that's what you want to do. Um, Anyway, just wanted to make that note. I don't remember if I made that mention of that last time or not. Um, verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our, from our sins uh, in his own blood. And he's, he has made us kings and priests to his God and, and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Which brings us to where we are today, Revelation chapter 1 and looking at uh, verse 7. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Behold, he is coming, tells us he hasn't yet come. Thus, it is a reference. It is referencing the second coming of Christ. Uh, looking at this verse, I don't see I could be referencing anything else. Uh, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even the, the even they who pierced him, referencing those uh, who nailed him to the cross, those who the man who remember who hit him with a spear, hit him with the seven the spear inside. Uh, basically, those who were there as crucifixions was being referenced there, and all the tribes. Of the earth will mourn because of him even so amen referencing all mankind being present again a reference to the second coming he is coming in the cloud to every eye shall see him we find this also reference in matthew 26 verse 64 uh, his friends and enemies will see him some will be happy others unhappy because they are the unprepared uh, even they who pierced him, even those who were responsible for Christ uh, dying on the cross, shall see him, meaning even the dead. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn, many will cry because of their grief. Multitudes of people are not going to be happy at the Lord's second coming. The reason they're not going to be happy is because they're not prepared. Um, the teaching by some of the second coming passages in the New Testament were fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem AD, uh, in AD 70 are clearly an error since there was no resurrection at that time. There was the last day, John 6, 39 through 40. There are some today who do teach that. Uh, I've seen little memes, little cute memes people saying, and they have a skeleton saying they've been saying, waiting for Christ's second coming because they're poking fun saying it's already happened. No, it hasn't. Um, we find this is one of many verses that points that out. Um, uh, it is clearly error since there was no resurrection at that time, and neither was it the last day. 
remember Peter also addresses what happens on the last day of the judgment day, that the heavens and the earth will be, will be uh, destroyed, they will be melted, all the elements and elements therein will be melted to fervent heat. Uh, and so all those things uh, are going to take place on the final day. And so that this cannot be referencing something that's going to take place during the destruction of Jerusalem, as some uh, would teach. Uh, verse 8 here of Revelation chapter 1 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Uh, Alpha, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, this indicates how there is, not, there is no uh, beginning or end with God. He is truly eternal. The Almighty, the Supreme God, there is no other. The Almighty there in verse uh, 8 says that the Almighty uh, this could be referencing uh, God here. It could be re- different from the previous verses. Um, it could be referencing God being the who he is, who was, who is to come, being uh, referencing God here and also back, uh, what did I say that verse was? Um, verse 4. Uh, this is probably why people refer to that as God being there. Um, who is to come is where I have issue with it being God. Um some will reference this as being just a phrase of saying God is eternal. Okay. But is he who is to come? Um, God isn't coming at the second coming. Christ is. That's why I say that, referencing uh, that. Uh, who is, who, who is, who was, who, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Um, I don't think it would be, in my judgment, a... a wrong thing to, to apply that to christ is christ uh is christ mighty is he is he the almighty um you know we could apply that there uh, again if you want to say it's god okay i'm not gonna i'm not gonna argue with you about it um but who is to come is where i get tied up with where where is where does it say that god is to come um anyway verse nine I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, again, this is I, John's reference to John, the writer there. Um, and I also have a little cross reference here, Matthew 24, 40, Matthew 24, 29. Uh, if you go back to Matthew 24, what? You remember a lot of people try to apply Matthew twenty four to the to the destruction of Jerusalem, or excuse me, to not to to that, but to the end of time. They try to apply all this in the time when actually there's a big difference, and there's there's a lot of splits there in Matthew twenty four, and not all of it's applying to end of time, not all of it's applying to destruction of Jerusalem. Um, Matthew twenty four twenty nine says immediately after the tribulation of those days, which tells you it's coming to an end. The tribulation is a reference. It's the word tribulation. I think trips a lot of people up. Um, if you get over here, and let me see if I can get Strong's and bring this up. Um, oh, bring up the right one. Here we go. Um, tribulation simply means affliction. And again, reading from Strong's, affliction, trouble, anguish, persecution, to be afflicted. Uh, people find that find that phrase in the in uh, the tribulation as being, oh, there's only one singular great tribulation. No, uh, the Bible does not teach that. Uh, Christians and the faithful of God have faced various tribulations 
throughout history. The tribulation here is a reference to the tribulation of this time period. Not a great tribulation is going to come in the future. Uh, notice also he's also there currently their companion in the tribulation. And so that means that he was currently going through it. It's not, you know, again, those those books, I reference this because a lot of people will understand what I'm talking about, but they lay out a lot of this false doctrine. Um, they reference the tribulation as being a, a certain amount of time and, and future tense, and after the tribulation, there's going to be this and then this and then this. Uh, he's already, in, in chapter 1, verse 9, he's already their brother and companion in the tribulation, which means he's already in the tribulation, already in this time of persecution. He is their companion in it, presently, right? Um, and so it cannot be future tense. Remember, going back to Revelation chapter 1, you got to keep this in mind as well. Revelation chapter 1, looking at verse 1, the very first verse, Christ says, uh, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Um that tribulation was coming very soon, and John was going to be his companion in that. It wasn't distant future. It's not, you know, it's not something we're waiting on now. Uh, revelation has to do with the destruction of Jerusalem, and has to do with the church, not future tense coming of Christ. Some great war, which we'll get to later, as we know, people will talk about the Battle of Armageddon, the Bowls of Wrath, uh, Trumps. I've heard uh, a man years ago tell me, "I believe we're in such a such Trump." And what he meant by that was because of the things going on, he thought, well, this identifies with those hardships that are mentioned in that in that section of Scripture. Honestly, there are so many, if you're talking about hardships, you could apply that to numerous times throughout history. Uh, if you say, okay, well, this sounds like the hardship they're going through. Well, what about these people back here? I mean, the Great Depression was a tremendous hardship. You could apply that to numerous scriptures numerous scriptures in the Bible today if you wanted to. I don't mean they're going to fit, but you could apply it to that if you wanted to think of it that way. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of, heavens, of the heavens will be shaken. Now, what he's referencing here is the destruction. He's saying here, as you look at verse, again, this is Matthew 24 or 29. I have this as a cross-reference there to Revelation 1 and verse 9. Uh, immediately after the tribulation, is after the persecution, when it's coming to an end, he's kind of giving a viewpoint like, this is all what you're going to see. He says that the, those days the sun will be darkened. When there's, when there's smoke and when there's a great destruction, I mean, even here in, in Oklahoma, uh, they like there's a lot of there's some wildfires sometimes they they will burn off certain uh, controlled burn different areas and it can fill and cover up a great area and if it's not careful if you're not if it's a large one uh, you can you can fill up the sky uh, and it will block out the sun and won't become dark like we like we would think of but the idea there is it's going to become uh, difficult to see the sun through that all that smoke and stuff. And that's what he's talking about here. The sun will be darkened. Uh, the moon will not give its light. Why? Because buildings are on fire. Uh, you remember this? We're, talk, we're not talking about a little house that's burning. We're talking about a city that's on fire. The smoke is going up. The sun and the moon is being darkened because of all that. They, all those things are going on. Uh, the stars will fall from heaven. The powers of, of of heaven will be shaken. He's talking about all those who are in who are in positions of authority there in Jerusalem. They're they're no longer positions of authority. The city's completely destroyed. There's nothing to have authority over. Uh, it could be also be a reference to some of them dying. Um, 
and then we're not going to go back and look at all those verses there in Matthew 24, but this does apply here a little bit to Revelation 1 and verse 9, I think more than a little bit. Uh, this tribulation, this hardship, things are going to happen. Because when there's destruction, there's fire, there's smoke, and it becomes very difficult to, to, to see through it. Uh, if you want to talk to a fireman sometime, I'll tell you how hard it is to see through smoke. Uh, especially if it's more than one building. Can you imagine a city on fire, what what that would look like, and the amount of smoke that would go up? Uh, I don't want to see it. <laughs> uh, you know, we all remember um, 9-11 and the smoke that came up from those buildings being uh, being attacked. Uh, those are just a few buildings. A whole city? I can't imagine. Of course the sun's going to be darkened. Of course the moon won't give its light. Uh, it's going to be blocked out by all the smoke and destruction. Okay, Revelation 1 and verse 9, going back here. here. Uh, he says, I, John, both your brother, so he's talking about them being fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and companion in the tribulation. We talked about that. I'm your companion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be going through some of these things just like as you are, this persecution. And then he says, and kingdom. Kingdom is a reference to the church that tells us the church was established during the time, was already established during the, during the time of John. He was in the kingdom, the church. So when we have people today saying, well, the church is coming in the future, the kingdom of God is coming in the future, he's going to establish his kingdom sometime in the future, no one told John that. He was already in the kingdom. Chapter 1, verse 9. And see, Revelation, while it is a very figurative book, it also clears up a lot of stuff that people today have a misunderstanding upon. Yes, there's a lot of figured language that people don't understand and misapply it. The problem is not with the book. The problem is with, for honest, meantime, is the reader. Um, and here in verse 9, John is their companion in this persecution, in this tribulation. That's just another word for persecution. And kingdom. So he is her brother and companion in the tribulation, this persecution, and in the kingdom. That is the church. The church is already... And it already established, already in existence. We go, we know that going back to Acts chapter two. He says next, and the patience of Jesus Christ, uh, you know, was, is Christ patient? Is God patient? Yes, uh, and no doubt. Any time of persecution and tribulation uh, that involves, you know, well, when the church is involved, when faithful are involved, is God uh, long suffering? Yes, He has to be. He says, was on the was on. Uh, was on the island that is called Patmos. This is John. He's saying, I was on the island that's called Patmos. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's saying the reason he's there is because of the word of God. Uh, he was there, you know, we have, you've probably heard this many times before, and it's common, relatively common knowledge that he was exiled to this island because he kept on, he was preaching, teaching the word of God, and they got sick of him, so they kicked him and booted him out to, to the island of, island of Patmos. Um, it's kind of like, well, there's a lot of parallels today I won't get into that some may not like. But uh, um, the people, they get booted and separated from, from, from certain things because of what they're teaching and what, they're, what their beliefs are, even though it's truth. Yeah, only all the time. And so John is another reminder of that. It was happening way back then. You want to talk about people getting kicked off, uh, you know, being deplatformed? Uh, John was... The platform. He was kicked off to the island of Patmos because for the word of God. He's preaching the truth, so they literally kicked him out. Um, wasn't the first. You know, people in Bible times, uh, well, we're living Bible times. People in the time period of Christ and the time period of the Old Testament, uh, this happened all the time. People being you know shoved out of cities. 
uh, being sh- being shoved out of homes. You remember when Christ healed the blind man, and the uh, I want to say it's the Pharisees that questioned him, uh, and they the Pharisees' parents kept go- they went to his parents because he was born blind, and they kept asking him questions. They finally said, just go and ask him. And the reason they were asking him is because if he went in the synagogue, will, would profess across the Son of God, they kicked him out. <laughs> Way back then, people were getting kicked out for believing and holding to the truth. Not much has changed today. Um, but John was on the island of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Looking at verse 10, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Um, I was in the spirit. means he was being, uh, I have it here, means, means he was being directed by the spirit or under the influence of the teachings of the spirit. Now, there are those today who will claim that same thing. There's a problem, though. Different time period different purpose today people a lot of times when they are quote-unquote under the spirit they'll do things <laughs> i won't say always because sometimes it's some things that do they're not wrong they just don't make any sense but they'll say things and they go against the word of god <laughs> they contradict the word of god well that already tells you you're not under the spirit you're just under the influence of something else maybe uh ignorance maybe um you know people are people who say that sometimes can be sincere but they're sincerely mistaken. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times emotions plays a big part in that and just not really grasping what, what what's happening. You know, I've heard people say that before. You hear people say things like, well, I feel like I'm being led by the Spirit. I feel like I'm being led to do this or God laid this on my heart. And I've said this here in Uligal many times before. Now that I've had anyone here to come up and tell me that, I'm not, don't misunderstand me, but I've told them here before that when I hear people say that, what has happened if people are honest, what's happened is they've heard a lesson, they've heard a Bible class, or they've been reading their Bibles, and all of a sudden they're starting to feel guilty about some things they've been doing, and they want to make some changes. And they don't say it that way. So they say, well, I feel like God's laying on my heart. When in reality, the Word of God has pierced them, and they're categorizing it in a different way. Um, but looking here in verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me, a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now, if we're honest, John hears a lot of things that are pretty intense, uh, pretty crazy. Uh, I say crazy, just things that, remember, Christ is, is the one who's revealing, the thing, revealing these things to him. And so he says, I was in the Spirit. Uh, he's being directed or under the influence of the Spirit, uh, just like we find later and uh, or seeing Revelation, as we see also in chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, he says here, um, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, that is the first day of the week. A loud voice as of a trumpet that is loud and clear. Obviously, obviously, I shouldn't say obviously. Um, I think clearly, maybe, is a better way to put it, but this is the word of, this is the voice of Christ. Again, this is him who is speaking, going back to chapter, uh, to the first few verses there of chapter 1. And we also have here a note, verse 13 makes it perfectly clear. Um Anytime I go through my notes, I don't care how many times I've reviewed them or whatever, uh, I always find things I'm like, eh, I wish I would put that a little differently. And obviously, I think it's one of them because it's, I don't think it's necessarily obvious, uh, but I think it is pretty clear as, as Scripture reveals later in verse 13. Verse 11, anyway. Uh, so so verse 10, he says, I heard, a loud, heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. So it's like a trumpet. It's not a trumpet. He says, as of a trumpet. And I point that out because people sometimes will say, well, he heard a trumpet. 
That's not what he said. He says he heard a loud voice as of a trumpet, which means it was very loud, right? Uh, verse 11, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He says, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And so there's other... There, those are the seven churches that are mentioned. Uh, we've talked about this before. Are these the only seven only churches there? No. The, he's focusing on on one area, and we mentioned before how some think it's kind of like a like almost like a circle that he's going through here. Um, but these are the seven churches he's to write to. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. We apply this to Christ who's speaking because we go back to verse one. It's Christ who's revealing these things to John. Um, looking at verse twelve. Uh, so verse 11, who, that's, we, we find, what we find here is who's being identified as speaking. It's Christ, who he's to write to. It's the seven churches of Asia. He says, what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches of Asia. I don't believe the book we're reading today, Revelation, is necessarily the, 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 the book we're talking about. I think we have a book that's written to, and I may, may, may be reminded of this later, I may be confused, but... I think what he's writing here, he's going to write specifically to them, and then he's, going to, then he's going to talk about some other things in addition to that. Because we know as he talks to the seven churches, there's a very clear starting to this church and the ending to this church, and then he starts with another church, right? And we talked about before during the introduction, he, he commends them for some things, and then he starts talking about some things that they didn't have some issues with. Uh, there's only one exception to that, and we'll get to that when we come to it. Verse 12, then I turned to, the, to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Seven golden lampstands. You remember, the number seven, we said, represents completeness. Uh, it can also rep- represent, um, depending on the context, it can represent not just completeness, but also perfection or uh, purity even. And so he, when we find here, we find he turns, he sees these seven golden uh, lampstands. Uh, some translations say candlesticks. Uh, these are are said to be golden because of the precious nature of these churches. Again, this is something that I picked up from another uh, from a commentary. Uh, some of this golden because of the nature of the churches. You know, I do not. I do not. Uh, that's. That's just an idea. Let me put it that way. Okay, uh, it's an idea. It's, it's said by some. Uh, there, there are some who say the golden represents the precious nature of these churches. Verse 20 says these lampstands are the seven churches, as we get there later. Um, verse 13, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, and so you have seven lampstands you have in the midst of them, which means in the center of them. We almost, I picture lampstands in a, in, a circ, in, a, in a circle and then something in the middle of them. That would be in the midst of them. Um, he says, one like the son of man, clothed with the garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden brand. And so you have in the midst of seven lampstands, one like the son of man there in verse 13. Uh, we see from, from this that Christ is in the midst of the churches, the seven lampstands, meaning he is present among them. 
Thus we see from this how he knows all about them. You can know, you cannot know them unless you are among them. Thus Christ is among them and over them and knows all their works, both good and bad. He is in their midst, just as he told his disciples he would never leave them. Matthew twenty-eight verse twenty. We see we see him here still very much present, and so. Him being in the midst of the golden lampstands, the lampstands being a reference to the churches, uh, Christ being in the middle of them, meaning he is over them. He, again, he, he knows what's going on, right? Clothed the garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. This description is found also in Daniel, Daniel 7, verse 13, and Daniel 10, and verse 5. His clothing clothed the garment down to the feet. Uh, some say this indicates a garment of dignity, honor, and majesty. Gird about the chest, the ordinary girding was at the loins. These are the garments of a priest or king. With a golden band, uh, in the Old Testament, this was a symbol of power, righteousness, and truth. So here it represents the truth, as in Ephesians 6, verse 14. You can also go back and look at Exodus 28, verse 8, and Exodus 39, 29, and 30. So this shows Christ as, as a high priest. You know that our high priest, Hebrews 4, and verse 14. Uh, verse 14 here uh, it says his head and his hair his head and hair were like white wool as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire uh, I'm going to read through a few of these here because I like to get through verse 17 before we stop his head and his hair were like like white were white like wool his as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire his feet were like fine brass as as if refined in a furnace and his voice as a sound of many waters uh he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth and a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength when i saw him i fell at his feet I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. How many times did Christ tell his disciples and others, Do not be afraid, or, O oh, you little faith? Very similar here. Clearly, we're talking about uh, Christ. Um, verse 14, His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Uh, White is constantly showing purity. Uh, here is usually referenced as his eternal nature, his wisdom and purity, Daniel 7, verse 9. His eyes like a flame of fire. Uh, some say this expresses the penetrating nature of his eyes. It may even at times express divine anger, Daniel 10, verse 6. Uh, the Bible reminds us that God, uh, and this would include Christ, knows all, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Matthew 19, 4, and many other passages as well. Verse 15, his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. Uh, some say this indicates strength and represents his consuming judgment. Uh, you can compare this to chapter 14, verse 20. A picture of the severity of God's judgment, Malachi 4, verse 3. Some say that the brass or bronze feet represent the purity of his life, having never turned aside to walk in the ways of the ungodly. Uh, while this is true, it seems the severity of judgment makes most sense when considering the t context of the book. The refining of the feet in the furnace would no doubt show the strength of the feet, the mighty, strong, and sound judgment that was coming. Uh, verse 15 also references his voice as a sound of many waters. Uh, this indicates, some say, a commanding, authoritative voice. When Christ spoke, it was, not, it was like no one else on earth has ever spoken before or after. You know, we also know uh, there 
in the gospel accounts, I believe it's there in the book of Matthew specifically, says uh, those who hurt him were, I think I want to say it was in awe because he spoke as one having authority and not as the scribes. I believe that's found there at the end of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Um, next, verse 16, in his right hand he had, and in his right hand, seven stars. Uh, this is explained as being the angels of the churches, as we look at verse 20. Uh, these stars represent his ruling power, strength, and authority. The position of being on the right or in his right hand shows power and authority, Psalm 110, uh, verse 1, and Hebrews 1, 3, and 4. And so this is believed to be the angels of the churches, and this is seen later in verse 20. Out of his mouth, a sharp two-edged sword. To me, this can mean nothing else but the word of God. Uh, we know this is also referenced later uh, there uh, in in uh, <coughs> in uh, t- uh, was it first or second Timothy, uh, but also he- Hebrews four verse twelve, Ephesians six verse seventeen uh, is a weapon, no doubt. Out of his mouth comes the word of God. Um, his countenance, uh, his countenance like the sun shining in its strength was like the sun shining in full blazing glory. Uh, there in verse 16. And so basically, uh, his countenance was like the sun shining, his glory, shining in its strength, meaning his countenance was very bright, referencing his glory. Verse 17, our final verse for today. And when I saw him, I felt his feet as dead. But, laid, but he laid me, but he laid his right hand on me. Again, his right hand, right? His right hand, we saw, we said before, uh, as reference to, um, now his right hand also was what? Seven stars, but then we also find here he puts his right hand on him, right? In verse 17. Um, the position of being on the right or in his right hand shows power and authority. Uh, well, here with John, it would show power. Uh, no doubt he had authority over him, but uh, we also know he had uh, great power. Now, if you look at verse uh, 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This is natural reaction of being in awe, being in fear. I mean, everything he's seeing there in verses 12 and following. Um, he fell at his feet. This vision, no doubt, was overpowering and awesome. Uh, we find similar ideas in Isaiah 6, verse 5, Ezekiel 1, 28, and Daniel chapter 8, verse 17 and verse 27. Uh, he tells John not to be afraid. He himself has no reason to fear Christ. He has no reason to fear Christ. Christ is comforting John, but those who are against him, uh, against Christ, would find no comfort. Okay, we're going to stop there today. Uh, when we come back, we will pick up with Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. Um, I'm, honestly, we got a little bit further than I thought we would. Like I said before, I'm not in a huge hurry to get through the book. Uh, I'll have to go into some detail uh, but uh, not just overwhelmingly getting bogged down everything. But uh, we will pick up next time, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. I do hope you've enjoyed this Bible study, and I will see you again next time.